Today on MTG Focus Episode 2, Keep Calm and Listen to BDM, we're going to have our special guest, Daniel the Machete Chiquetti, who is the uh, winner of GP Miami. He's going to tell us a little bit about the green-white deck, what's going in in it, what's going on, how to win with it, and then how to beat it. And then we also have Mr. Brian David Marshall. We're going to talk about women in magic, how we can better promote our stars there, and then also what's kept magic around for so damn long. All of this and more on your MTG Focus. And now, Magic the Gathering news and insight with a pinch of heated debate. Welcome to MTG Focus. Welcome back to MTG Focus. This is episode two. Keep calm and listen to BDM. I am your host, Roberto Gonzalez. I am joined here by Mr. Brandon Remley. What's up, sir? It's a good night. Good night to talk about some magic. Oh, it's always a good night to talk about magic. I love that magic. Ooh, Ooh baby. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Anyway, so as we all know, when it comes to MTG Focus, we do like to have a lot of fun. Last week, we did have Paulo Vitor. We had Adrian Sullivan. Uh, I thought we had a good time. Uh, I think we sounded good. We didn't sound as good as Paulo. I mean, no. he's got that, the bringing yeah, the sexy back. Yeah. yeah, but it is what it is. Mm. We're doing our, hey, you know. whoa, 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 whoa. You don't, you don't have to get that excited about Paulo. I mean, I'll get him back on the show, okay? Don't Promise? Worry. You promise? Double promise. <laughs> uh, today, we have a, I think we have an excellent show. One, because we're going to get to talk to... Daniel Machetti. <laughs> I was want to say his name wrong. I was going to say some really bad variation of it, but it's going to be Daniel Machetti Chiquetti, right? Is that how we're going to do it? I think that's how you're going to do the, it. The Chiquetti? No, the Machetti? Yeah. Oh, dude, that's. I don't know if anybody knows this, but when you have a cool nickname, it's just the best. You get yeah, all especially the, it's got to be given to you by somebody else. So right, you can't make up your own. Yeah, name. yeah. I mean, that's he doesn't know this that we're going to call him that yet, <laughs> but yeah. but definitely it's going to stick. And he just obviously won the GP. And then we're also going to have Mister BDM himself uh, for our focus points, just talking about who he is, where he's from. Uh, so you're in for, I think, an excellent episode. Uh, so long as uh, Brandon doesn't, you know, make fun of me too much. I can't make any promises. That's for you, sure. Wait, you got a promise. Nah. Okay, fine. No. All right, it is what it is. So we're going to move right into our first segment, which is the Weekly Rewind. Find out what you should be playing this week with the Weekly Rewind. Welcome back. We're going to move into now our Weekly Rewind, where we talk about what's been going on the last week in Magic, what the big boogeymen that are out there are, and what you have to avoid. And one of the things that we thought would be really good is to make sure that if somebody won the big tournament, you know, let's say let's say a guy, you know, named Daniel Chiquetti won a big tournament, right? Let's just say for example he did, okay? It'd probably be a good idea to talk to him about the deck, wouldn't you think, Brandon? I would. Yeah. And so what we did is we reached out, we talked to his agent, 
and uh, his agent said that he would be able to fit us in in his busy schedule before he went on to his, you know, his G G six flights, you know, his models, his Playboy Mansion visits. Because we know that's what magic is all Th- that's about. That's what comes after you win a GP. That's that's the stuff that comes in. So I'd like to introduce the world to uh, Mr. Daniel Cicchetti. Are you there, sir? Yes, I am. Excellent. Thank you for coming on MTG Focus. We appreciate you taking the time. Um, so what we're going to do today is talk a little bit about the uh, GP Miami. We want to make sure that everybody can kind of get an idea of you know, what you went through because this is going to be your first Pro Tour, right? This is going to qualify you for the first Pro Tour? Yes, I, I have not actually played on a Pro Tour before, so I'm pretty excited about that. I, I would say so. How long have you been playing Magic for? I started playing... Uh, in second grade, so oh my god, like twenty oh, wow. years ago. Oh, just a mere. Tw- oh, he's an old guy like us. I don't think he's as old as we are. Okay, what is second grade? Well, what I don't know. Like eight years old now. Okay, yeah, that's, I guess that's true. Yeah, he's still. We still got a good. Okay, seven so we're years old on him, too. All right, right. <laughs> but we were just trying to get you into the old man crew. <laughs> but so first, you ain't old enough to be in our crew. <laughs> not, yeah, but he's got more GP wins than both of us. So. Uh, combined, yeah, yeah very true, very yeah, true. So he's on top. But uh, so um, here's the thing, Dan, or can I call you Dan? Or are you like a firm? Yeah, guy? yeah, absolutely. Okay. So Dan, here's the thing: is that a lot of people will never be in the position that you got to, which is to play in a huge tournament, play against a bunch of pros. Um, and as somebody who's never qualified for the Pro Tour, tell us a little bit about what it was like when you started thinking you could be in contention for top eight. Um, so you play in a lot of tournaments, so I've definitely been in contention for top eight before. This is the first time I've made it. It's certainly stressful going into those last rounds where where you're in contention. Um, it was pretty hard for me to tell, even going into the last round, whether I was still alive because I was at X2 and 1, and I had pretty good tiebreakers, but I didn't really know they could move around, and it sort of depended on the other pairings. So I didn't, I didn't actually know that I was in top eight until they announced it, because despite winning the last round, there was still a chance I could miss. So it's a pretty stressful situation, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I would say I, I was in that same situation at the Pro Tour uh, going into the last round. Win my last round, think I'm going to probably make top eight, but I didn't. <laughs> I've got ninth on tiebreaks. But um, so... I'm going to kind of put this into perspective for everybody at home is that even though Dan hasn't been on the pro tour yet, obviously, you know, this is something that he's been working hard on, you know, cause you can't just win a GP by accident. Um, what made you settle on this green, white devotion deck? So I, I wasn't that well prepared and I'm good friends with Sam black. We both live in Madison. Uh, and, he said that he'd broken it and this was the deck to play. So I just asked him for a list and he gave me this one and it performed admirably. It was, <laughs> so it so was, what you got is how many dinners do you owe Sam Black right now? I I don't know. I, I haven't been trying to count that. <laughs> it's the, a lot. The number is cataclysmic. <laughs> he will be feeding a small country with the dinners he owes to Sam. But um, – Okay, so let me get this straight. I want to make sure the story is correct. So you've been playing. You've been grinding it out, trying to get on the Pro Tour. You talk to Sam. You're like, bro, need a deck list. Hook it up. He was like, I broke it. You hook me up if you win. And then, But you you hadn't actually play tested this deck very much beforehand? 
Uh, no, I hadn't played a single game with the deck before I registered it. I hate you uh, so I, much. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, played, I played uh, maybe like three or four games during my buys on, on Saturday morning. God bless you. God <laughs> oh, bless man. your little heart. I just want to tell you that right now. Bless God bless America and everybody in it because <laughs> here's what good talent can do for you. You can literally I, pick up a deck cold. I mean ice cold, other side of the pillow cold. <laughs> And run it because you're just good at magic. Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna assume that. I mean, there's other people who were playing the deck. Brad Nelson, I saw, I think, was playing the deck, um, and he did very well too. But I'm looking at some of. Again, I'm not a necessarily a forest player. Not that I have anything against green, okay? But you very rarely find me with a forest in the deck. Tell us how the deck works for somebody who's maybe doesn't really know what's going on with it. Sure. So the deck works in a couple of different ways. In a normal matchup, you're just looking to power out uh, Wispwood Elemental or Pelucanosum and Monstrous it uh, off of Nykthos and Mana Creatures. And then you also have Mastery of the Unseen, uh, which serves two purposes, and they're both really important. One is against aggressive decks. It can gain you a lot of life. So uh, against some mono-red matchups I played, uh, I was down in burn range, but they only actually got one turn to draw a burn spell, because after that I was going to flip up a creature and gain 10, 15, 20 life, and then the game would be out of reach for them. It's also really good against control decks, uh, because it lets you, it's a threat all by itself, and you just get to pass the turn, and if they wrap your board away, you just end the turn, and you make a couple more guys. Um, and it also shores up one of the one of the worst cards for for the the green devotion decks historically had been wrapped. And then now they printed Ugin, which was even worse for them. It was getting everything. Um, and then mastery is actually just really good against Ugin. And so is Whisperwood Elemental. So you can just manifest a couple of guys. And then even if they Ugin away your whole board, you just attack the Ugin and kill it. And it's not a big problem. Right. And I, I did get to play the red green version of this deck, but the problem that we ran into was that, you know, you get into burn range and then you're just dead. So, you know, you don't have the same reach of, hey, I'm going to flip up an elf and gain 15. And I'm oh. assuming that happened quite a bit. Yeah. So against the the really aggressive decks, that's certainly what happens. And often it's not even like, you don't even need to gain 15. You can gain five or six, and that'll buy you a few more turns. And then eventually it just gets way out of hand. So um, what did you against, lose to? What, sorry, what was that? What did you lose to? Um, I lost. In the Swiss, I lost to a, a Jeskai Heroic deck where one of the games, he just had the absolute nuts and, you know, made like an 8-8 guy by turn four and then gave it double strike and it killed me. Oh. And then the next game, uh, he managed to get me pretty low, so I was forced to chump block over and over again with my manifest creatures. And then on the last turn before I was going to be able to build a big enough board uh, to prevent myself from dying to um, Teamer Battle Rage, he drew it. And so gotcha. it killed me. So some uh, off-the-wall deck that's probably not something the deck would see all the time. No, yeah. I mean, it's not completely off-the-wall, but it's certainly not one of the big contenders right now. And I even think that it's not a bad matchup. A lot of the times the way that matchup goes is you take some hits early, you go down to maybe like five life, but they don't really have any burn, so that's not that big a deal. 
and then you start flipping up creatures, and even if they're hitting you with like a 10-10 or a 15-15 guy that they managed to make, you're gaining 30 life a turn, so you don't even care. You just ignore it. Yeah, you're like, oh, well, oh 30 damage? Yeah. Is, is that it? No, no, no. I'll gain 31. Yeah. Uh, what's the... And that's... No, go ahead. That's what happens against the control decks, too, a lot of the time. So, like, against Advan Control, I played a game where my opponent played two Hornet Queens and two Siege Rhinos and was smashing me for 12 in the air, and then he conceded a few turns later because <laughs> I was gaining way more life than he could do in damage. How, how discouraging. You're like, yeah, so I was playing this game. I resolved five Siege Rhinos and uh, three Hornet Queens, re, uh, and uh, my opponent was still at 140. So yeah, th- I'm sure he wasn't very, ha- or he or she wasn't very happy about that. But yeah. tell me about that. Is the uh, one teamer saber tooth? What's that there for? Um, so it's good in a lot of the more controlling matchups, just as a card to get value back. Returning Polychronos is super great against a lot of matchups. Returning Genesis Hydra can be really powerful. Um, just as an indestructible guy, it can be really good. Um, saving your whole board from a wrath effect. So it's like a kind of pretty situational but powerful one of that you can kind of tutor for with your Genesis Hydra in the matches where it's good. Um, and then the place that it truly shines, the place that it's at, by far at its best is in the mirror where it's almost unbeatable just because the games are going to go so long and you're going to get so much stuff into play and then eventually you're just going to monstrous Pelucranos for like 15 and then you're going to return it to your hand and do it again the next turn and you're going to eat their whole board and also you can like save your mana guys if they try to eat, kill them with their Pelucranos um, and you can rebuy your Genesis Hydras or post board. It's really good in a lot of matchups actually for just bringing back Reclamation Sage. So like one of the rounds I played against um, a Constellation deck which actually isn't a great matchup for you normally because they get uh, they get a Doomwake Giant into play and they can keep clearing your board over and over again and drawing a lot of cards. But if you just rebuy Reclamation Sage 15 times, then it kills everything in their deck. So against, uh, we'll kind of move on to one of the other big Tier 1 decks in Standard, the Red-White deck. How is uh, your game plan against that? Um... They are, I think that it's a, a pretty good matchup. It's not awesome. Like, they can beat you if they just get a really aggressive draw. But anytime you start going to the long game, when their game plan starts becoming like outpost siege, it just pales in comparison to your late game. So uh, once, you, once you get going, you're just such a heavy favorite. Um, but some, they, they can get you. So, like, if you have a draw where they, like, wild slash one of your mana guys and then maybe chain to the rocks your pelucranos or something then maybe they just kill you with whatever creatures they played at the beginning of the game yeah so I wa- ra- rabble master specifically can definitely just get you some of the time oh yeah i think it has that that effect against a lot of decks where yeah, it just like true. kind of just blow people out of the water unchecked so i watched yeah. quite a bit of uh, the coverage this weekend and there were times where you know I'd look down after a little bit and I see it's you know 476 to 238 how do you look at those games and try to find ways to win them um so it turns out because you're generating so much mana with this deck uh you don't have to you can make such big guys with Lucanos and Genesis Hydra 
Uh, so it's not necessarily a problem to win those games from those life totals. The trick is cleaning up everything your opponent has in play. Um, and some of the time you can't do it. So like I know Sam twice in the tournament lost or didn't lose. He drew matches in the first game because he couldn't get it done in time. Um, depending on your list, I think a lot of the times those are going to turn into draws. Teamer Sabertooth specifically made it so that it was unlikely for that to happen just because you could go so big that eventually you killed everything your opponent had in play and then you just made your Genesis Hydras into like 40-40s and your Pelucranoses into and made a like 50-50 Pelucranos and just attack with all of that every turn. And when someone's taking 100 damage a turn, it doesn't take that long to kill them, even if they're at 400. Only 100? Um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's just a, that's a little disappointing to I only know, hear 100. Just a mere know. 100. <laughs> and, I mean, yeah. but here's the thing, too, is that uh, I'm going to blame you now, and I want the world to know that there was going to be a point where, you know, tournaments had a chance of, you know, the round ending on time. There was That was a thing. That thing is dead. You killed it. You took a machete yeah. to it. I mean, and I'm going to give Brandon credit where it's due because we're definitely going to call you the machete right now. I mean, because it rhymes with chiquetti, it, and it's just better. I, I think no one is ever going to mispronounce machete unless they're an idiot. And then, yeah. I really, I, like, when he goes to the Pro Tour, I want them to put him on coverage and then just give him, like, a total rocky entrance. Oh, perfect. And now, Daniel the Machete. Chuckety! I just want to see it go, and I want to—I just want to see it take off for you. Well, and the good thing is that you can use that soundbite and tell them that there's this guy, there's this fat man in Albuquerque who hangs out with another fat man on this podcast, and they'd like to just uh, call people random names. So that's how we do it. <laughs> but uh, okay, so knowing the deck in and out, and playing as many rounds as you did play, if you were playing a different deck. Let's, you know, the popular decks are like Abzan and are the red-white deck. How do we attack the deck? And this is coming, like I said, coming from you, you know, what do you, what's the worst thing that can happen to you where you think you may lose rounds? Um, so my experience was the most, I felt like the most likely way I was to lose in the matchups that were the closest were against the really focused, aggressive deck. So against, like, mono-red, uh, they could definitely just get in under you and, you know, they get you to, like, six, and then they just burn you the rest of the way out, and it just didn't matter that you had mastery because you couldn't get it online fast enough. So that's definitely, uh, I think, in my mind, like, the scariest thing someone can do against you. Um, I think the if you want to take a more controlling route, I think the Abzan decks are not the way to go. I think that they're just too – they don't have anything that's, like, fundamentally good enough against you. If you really want to go that way – um, the draws that I lost to against Abzan decks were like someone like Elspeth is, is pretty okay against the deck. If it's backed up with like some sweepers or removal, like if you can play Elspeth into an MP board, that can be a problem. But I played a game against someone with Elspeth where they ultimated at Elspeth. And I'm pretty sure I would have won the game easily if they hadn't had the second Elspeth in their hand already. <laughs> so that's, that's the kind of draw you're looking for. And I don't think that's where you want to be. Um, one one planeswalker that I don't think people are playing a lot of is Derek's uh, Apex Predator, uh, and he's actually really good against the deck, much better than any of the other planeswalkers in my experience, better than Elspeth and Ugin. Um, I think that that card's just, it does a lot of the thing, it does a lot of stuff that the deck has trouble fighting against. Um, so I think that 
a Soul Tide deck, like if you're looking to play a control deck, I'd go with Soul Tide Control. Uh, Soul Tide Charm is just a much better answer to a lot of the threats in the deck, and it gets mastery, so it actually fights everything you're looking for. Um, and then you can play, you can still play Garrick at the top of your curve. Um, what else is powerful? Uh, Perilous Vault is definitely the only sweeper in, that I. I didn't actually have to face it, but it's the one sweeper that's actually scary against the deck. It really does clear up everything, and no other card really does that. And it gets around Whisperwood Elemental, uh, again, something that no other sweeper really does. So, with obviously, I think, yeah, I was going to talk about Perilous Vault, but I think that's kind of like a given. Hey, if we exile everything, yeah, that would be a problem for the deck. But what kind of changes would you make? Uh, Obviously, you're already qualified, but if you had to run it back again, knowing that people now know about the deck, they're going to be fighting against it. What kind of changes do you think you might make to the main or to the sideboard or actually both? So one thing to keep in mind is if you're playing timed rounds in the mirror, you really need to win game one. There's a really good chance that you're not going to finish a second game. Um, Certainly sometimes the games are like, I monstrous Lucranos and eat all your mana guys and then just kill you with it. Uh, but a lot of the games get crazy long, so you almost have to main deck your sideboard cards for the mirror. So in terms of that, I think Kira Sabretooth, as we've discussed, best number one by a lot. Um, some other cards that are really, really powerful potentially in the mirror, um, Altar of the Brood can definitely just crush the mirror. Uh, you don't have a good way to deal with getting decked, and it's really hard to kill your opponent fast enough to prevent that from happening if they're milling extra cards off of you. Um, but I, I think it's a little tough probably to main deck that card. It depends a lot. If you think there's going to be tons of control decks, it might be okay. But I, I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, Nylea, uh is actually a pretty powerful card for the mirror as well. Uh, just giving all your guys trample and giving you the ability to attack with Pelucranos and then just monstrous it for a few points to eat like your opponent's whole team when it has, or no, that's the bow. The bow is actually another card yeah. that you can consider. Bow of Nylea. I, I think playing Nylea, like actual Nylea is probably a better choice than the bow. Um, but the bow is another card that you can consider playing for the mirror. Okay. So I saw quite a few people playing some green, the green white list that have brought in high Sentinels of Arashan from the board. What do you think about that card? I think it's, I, I don't know where I would ever want it. Um, I certainly wouldn't want it in the mirror. I think it's, if anything, actively bad in the mirror. Cool. It's a card that doesn't do anything, and it tricks you into spending mana to try to kill your opponent. Uh, and all it, all that really does, like, if, if you watched any of these games, you know that hitting your opponent for 15 damage a turn doesn't matter, and I can't imagine Sentinels doing much more than that. Yeah. So I think... I'd much rather spend four mana to manifest a creature or cast something from my hand than to put a plus one, plus one counter on something. Yeah, I could see that being a way better option. So before I let you go, uh, I'm going to guess that you've seen some of the spoilers you know, from the new set. Is there anything that stands out to you that you're like, you know what, I think we should probably put this in the deck or maybe I, uh, maybe I spec on uh, one of these cards uh, because... It just looks like it's going to be uh, powerful. Is there anything that you see right now from the spoilers that you think is either an auto-include or something that you really should take a look at for this list? Um, I would certainly... I don't remember his name, but the 
the one in a white two one lifelink with megamorph that kills a big creature when you flip it up. Oh, the big game hunter. Um, yeah, <laughs> the the two one lifelink for two is like both modes of it are really good in different places, which is like just in the same way mastery has that sort of feature where like one part of it's awesome against control and one part of it's awesome against aggro. That guy is awesome against the aggro deck just because having a two one lifelinker on turn two is a big deal against those decks. It can get you out of some really tight situations that the deck isn't very well equipped to deal with. Um, and then the other mode where you unmorph it and you get to kill a big guy is going to be really good against all the mid range decks. Yeah, I, so I think that I don't know that he's an auto include, but I would certainly test him in the deck. I think he looks really promising. Uh, and the other card that looks really promising in the deck is the, um, the sort of eternal witness guy that's kind of in the same vein. Um, he's a little less of a dual threat type of card, but I know eternal witness would be unbelievably broken in the deck. And that card is not a lot of steps down from eternal witness. So I think, and the deck generates so much mana that paying a few extra for your eternal witness isn't necessarily a big deal. Yeah, I was going to say, those two cards were the ones that we were thinking about because obviously being able to kill their Polycrinos and then buy it back or kill a Siege Rhino, buy it back with the t- with the Sabretooth, you know, or Eternal Witness, buy it back. You, all those kind of different things are going to be really, really good. So, um, well, go ahead. Also, it's really important to have cheap creatures in your deck to flip off of Mastery because there will be a lot of times where you're, like, low on life. You really need to hit, like, a one or a two drop off the top of your deck with four mana off the Mastery and flip it up right away to stay alive. So having more things that do that and having them be super powerful in other regards and effects when you flip them up is, is really good. Cool. Well, I, you know what? I really thank you for coming by and explaining the ins and outs this, of this deck. Uh, I think everybody at home is going to really appreciate it. Um, we wish you the best of luck on the Pro Tour, unless, of course, you play one of us. Then we hope you get mana screwed out of the... No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> oh, for real. No, we, <laughs> we want you to do well, because obviously we'd love to have you back uh, for a big win uh, on the Pro Tour. And again, for everybody at home, uh, this man's name, don't forget it, it's Daniel the machete chiquetti don't don't get it twisted don't sleep on him because he will mess you up right i mean he's going to gain 100 life he's going to attack you with a 50 50 polychronos uh just pick an pick an option so but again um is are you on twitter or anything like that i'm not i'm on facebook though okay so we can just find you under daniel uh chiquetti and it's c-e-c-c-h-e-t-t-i all right, fans, you know where to find them. Uh, again, thank you so much for coming on. We'll hopefully hear from you soon. And now we're going to move on to our Focus Points. Thanks for having me. This is Focus Points, where we debate topics reasonably like adults who don't always have to be right. Who am I kidding? Let's get the yelling started. All right, welcome to Focus Points. This is where we talk a little bit about some of the things that are going on in Magic, um, some of the hot button issues, uh, just things that... You guys are probably talking about at home amongst yourself. Uh, today we have a very, very special guest. Uh, some people may know him as, you know, the voice of magic. I mean, is that a, is that a fair thing, Brandon? To say that's fair. I would say it's very fair. I mean, I, I think if you watch any kind of coverage uh, for the Pro Tour, you will know who this person is. Um, but there's actually a lot of extra things that I didn't even know that he was a part of. But I do want to introduce everybody to Mr. Brian David Marshall. Are you there, sir? Hey guys, how's it going? 
I am blessed and highly favored. How about you, Brandon? You doing okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear what you have going on. Yeah, I, that's what we're looking at is, I mean, obviously I can go to a Wikipedia page. I can go off of what I know and uh, from knowing you for a few years here uh, from the Pro Tour. But, I mean, what is it besides magic that you have going on? Because I think a lot of people would be really interested to know on these other projects <laughs> that actually if, if they're as good as your content when it comes to the Pro Tour, I think we definitely want to be playing some of these games. So just tell us a little bit about what you're working on. Sure. I mean, I, uh, I, when I'm not, you know, talking about games, I'm, I'm thinking about games and making games. So I have a, I work with some guys here in New York. Uh, we, we are waiting on some labor strife at the docks to resolve and, uh, have our walking dead board game. We did a, we've done, we did about two years ago, did a walking dead game based on the comic book, the walking dead, which is the original source material. Uh, we have a sequel that's coming out and uh, we're waiting for, basically labor strife to be resolved <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's here something. and it's it's sitting in you know in, in customs along with a bunch of other stuff uh while uh the i you know some dock workers union is uh in conflict with people who want their stuff apparently well, can't you just uh, give someone <laughs> some money under the table and get them things <laughs> I out don't know. I, don't know. Wait, works. I was thinking maybe getting some boosters you know something <laughs> like that a couple yeah, of alliance I can boosters tell, i could tell them where the dragons and park here packs are. yeah where, Ooh, where, the DK, where the dck packs at put that out on here now and everyone wednesday will be making a beeline for wherever that is <laughs> so uh you said you're working on uh this walking dead game i mean is i'm my my wife and i are big big board game people just like i'm sure a lot of our listeners are um is this a game that's kind of like house on haunted hills or something like that where it's like a cooperative game or and maybe... uh, it can be it can be played cooperatively or it can be played competitively uh you know you can make a deal with other people to play together but you're not bound like it would be in the world of the walking dead you're certainly not obligated to keep your word oh that's my <laughs> kind of game hold on we can lie and cheat and steal this is Ooh. these are demure things i like what you, you're talking about you certainly about. can yeah <laughs> um and, it, and it's based on the comic book so so one of the things uh we my me and the, the guys i work with here uh, try to do when we're designing games, especially when we're designing games for licensed brands, is is really try to extract a lot of the the flavor and and really uh, work top down. So we we really tried to recreate the the experience of the comic book. Uh, the first game takes place over the first two graphic novels of the comic. Uh, the second game takes place over the next couple of graphic novels in the comic. So this is this is Walking Dead, the prison. So this is you know all the issues of the comic that were set in the prison. It works uses the artwork from the from the comics uh, for the game. It's you know I think uh, you know very if you're if you're a fan if, if you're a fan of Robert Kirkman's work I think I think it'll resonate with you. I've actually had a chance to play the game with Robert Kirkman and he really liked it, which was nice. Yeah, that seems he like said, a positive. He said, <laughs> he said thank you for making a licensed game that's not crap. Oh, which was, <laughs> you know awesome. Right, that's exactly, level compliment. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> yeah. what you're looking for. And then, uh, and then uh, I'm, a, I'm a couple weeks away from shipping uh, my my latest game off to the printer. Uh, it's called Emergence Genesis, which is a uh, deck building game that I worked with a designer here in New York, uh, Anthony Conta, who's also created the game Fun Employed, uh, to build based on a superhero universe that I actually created myself and worked with some comic book artists from you know the industry to design the characters for, and uh, it's something I'm super proud of and super excited about, and really is this 
fusion of, you know, long before I was in the game space, I was in the comic books industry and worked as a writer and an editor and a publisher of comic books. So the opportunity to sort of take both of these two great passions in my life uh, and put them together and create a game that is, you know, very, very much immersed in the the look and the feel and the language and the, and the, you know, style of comic books was uh, specifically superhero comic books because obviously comics is a big medium. Yeah. Um, but, you know, very specifically the superhero comics that, that me and the artists that I worked with grew up loving. So uh, it's been really exciting. It's funny because uh, as someone who plays Magic, we only know you as the guy that tells us what's going on at the Pro Tour. And when we're at the Pro Tour, you're the guy that we want to talk to because if we're talking to you, that means we're doing good on the Pro Tour. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I know from a personal experience, I go, man, I get to talk to BDM. That means I'm not sucking today. So, right. My but, deck is cool. <laughs> yeah, or, or, or that, oh, I drafted a really sweet deck that does this. So, But the thing is, is that I'm doing some research and finding out that you have a history in comic books, uh, more specifically, my favorite comic books, the Marvel you know, universe, that's what I grew up on. Uh, how, if someone was to see you outside of magic, they don't know anything about magic, they know you from the comic book scene, what would they know about you? Uh, so I, when I was a kid, I mean, quite literally a kid, I started a comic book company uh, called uh, Malibu Publishing, which actually uh, was, you know, a, a very... Uh, kind of wide-ranging line of comics that included sword and sorcery comics. Uh, I published a comic actually by Richard Kane Ferguson long before Magic was an inkling in anyone's eye, a, a comic called Carnage that he wrote and drew and was kind of insane and smelt like burning wood. Um, <laughs> it, it, I'm wait, not even lying. Wait, wait how, does that, how does that go about? Like, this comic book, I want you to read it. It smells like burning wood. Well, the comic book itself just smelled like newsprint, but the original art pages smelt like like they'd been smoked over hickory. Oh, well, know. hold on. <laughs> comic book smoked over hickory. As a fat person who eats, and like, I love eating, this is my kind of comic book. Can we book. throw some barbecue yeah. sauce yeah. on this? <laughs> some barbecue sauce on my Get comic. some chicken yeah. and some ribs. I'm in it. Let's do this. <laughs> okay, go ahead. So, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, so I did, I did that. Uh, and then uh, in the early part of the 2000s, I actually created a comic book series from Marvel called The Craptacular B-Sides, which was uh, a group of young superheroes that were all uh, created by me working with an artist named Evan Dorkin and uh, the artist from the series, Brett Weldley, uh, who are these kind of like dysfunctional young superheroes who uh, kind of felt like they deserved to be the next big thing, but hadn't really put the work in yet. And it may or may not have been drawn somewhat from, you know, magic players who sort of thought that they were, <laughs> they, were, you know, they, were they were the like, joint, they were the jam. Yeah. They're like, Oh man, I'm going to go to the pro tour and I'm going to, you know, it's like, you know, that sort of thing when people get there and they, they don't quite, you know, dominate the same way maybe they do at F and M or at the local PTQ scene. You know what I mean? They yeah. get to the pro tour and there's this other speed there. Yeah. And it was like it was really about like these these superheroes who are like kind of like wow we're 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 you know the real deal and then they realize that there's actually work that goes, is involved in that. Well, that's so insane. It was, it was a fun story, and and one of the characters is named Mize. 
Oh well, I mean, yeah. obviously he's the best. <laughs> it's, he is the see. It's the funny. Jace. Yeah, he's the, the Jace, Jace, right? Yeah. Well, it's funny because when you said you know there's a superheroes and they were called like the B sides, and you know you being from New York, I thought that was like a rap group. I was just like you know it was all a dream. I used to read Marvel <laughs> magazines, you know, but that wasn't what you were talking about. You were talking about actual superheroes, not Biggie Small. Yeah, so. yeah. But no, no, no. B, I mean, B, B sides. That's you know going back actually to just like. Uh, you know, just vinyl records in general. Like, it was very funny. It was also this idea of making this, you know, superhero team that, you know, was for something. Even even in, in 2002, when this came out, vinyl was already completely dead. So it was kind of funny to have it reference something that people didn't even know what it was. Well, because I was going <laughs> to say, yeah, kids today will be like, what's a B-side? You right, know? right, exactly. <laughs> like a backside? Exactly. Yeah, the booty? No, 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 the B-side. <laughs> That's the other, on the other side of you. Oh, you don't you even know what a record is. Yeah, you don't. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh you don't know God. what it's like to work to listen to music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where I, when it was your age, I had an eight track, and I had to flip it over to listen to the other five songs. You know, I've, they don't. I've, I'm, I've started collecting eight tracks, so uh, let's oh. not even go down this road. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> I, I've, I definitely, you know, growing up had a car that had an eight track in it. So, but we won't go there. But yeah. I, I actually want to kind of talk a little bit more about uh, the Emergence Genesis. This is like a, uh, a is a draft game. Is, well, I mean, what is it? Go, go it's, into it's, it. So it's a deck building game, very much. If you've if you've played games like Dominion or Ascension or, or Star Realms, it's it's that type of game. It's this category of game that was created uh, by the advent of of the Dominion game. So uh, you're you're basically it's a game where you're building a deck and uh, developing a strategy as you go along. So each turn, you get an opportunity to, to acquire cards, put them in your graveyard. Or your discard pile, or whatever we, whatever non-proprietary term yeah. we call it, <laughs> whatever keeps Watsy from suing us. Name. Um, and then when you run out of cards in your deck, which starts out at like just ten cards, uh, once you run out of cards in your deck and you can't draw a new hand, you shuffle your deck. So each turn, as you're buying new cards, and then each cycle as you go through your deck, you're looking at new cards and drawing new cards and getting this opportunity to play with new cards. So you develop a strategy that you want to play around. Uh, in this case, you're um, starting out as a character with a base ability who's a superhero. Uh, we have, uh, I think, 10 superheroes that we included in the first game that you could be. Uh, and you're building a deck and trying to buy cards that are going to suit your abilities and your powers. So, what's And there... what's really different about this as opposed to maybe some of the other deck building games are out there is instead of just kind of like trying to build your deck and sort of cross a finish line and win... I'm actually trying to punch you in the nose and stop you from punching me in the nose. Okay. And so it's, so it's actually, there's actually interaction and I'm actually trying to uh, reduce your life total to zero. So a concept some of us may be familiar with. Yeah. I think, I think it sounds familiar somewhere, but what I was going to yeah. say is that it sounds like a hybrid of playing Ascension mixed with lunch money where you have to build a deck, but you also have to beat the crap out of everybody else. And sure. I'm, I'm assuming okay. there's a multiplayer. This is a multiplayer game. It where... is a multiplayer game. You can play heads up. You can play four players out of the box. I mean, theoretically, if you wanted to jam two sets together, you could play eight player, although I think it would get hella messy. <laughs> yeah, like magic <laughs> but, games uh, do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you, know, very, you know, very, very similar, I think, in politics to a game of Commander. Okay. In terms of like playing a three or four player game. You know, like if you, you know, if you, you sort of use your uh, resources to attack someone, your your sort of gate's going to be down and someone might sort of rush in and punish you for that. So there's there's a little bit, it's a little delicate, but it's a, it's a lot of fun, very flavorful, 
um, you know, really just, you know, this, you know, does this great job, I think, uh, of conveying these different types of powers that these characters have. And, uh, you know, because each character has this, its own, his own, his or her own unique ability, you get to really explore, uh, you know, uh, a different strategy than anyone else is going to be playing in the game. Now, so was there, a- and we did a we did a Kickstarter for it. It was yeah. very successful. The game's going to the printer at the end of April. And, uh, you know, if you're interested in it, we have it on our on the urban island games website okay so that's, that's what i was gonna ask how, how we we're publishing it through so if people are interested you could check it out there it's on right. urbanislandgames.com all right we'll have to do that because i think i'm all for games where i get to lie cheat and steal and uh, and beat my opponent up and draft in the process so yeah I, I mean, yeah. yeah i mean there's, there's definitely you know this this sort of like like you know the, the piles of cards that are out on the table are uh you know different all the time there's a wide you know hundreds of cards that could be out there. So you really have to think on the fly and make adjustments and go, Oh, okay. I can do that. I can do that. If I do that, then this comes up, you know, you start to, you start to sort of adapt to the cards that are, that are coming to you. So very, very much, you know, something that, uh, you know, will reward good drafting skills. Okay, cool. So for us degenerates out there, how do we turn this into like a money? Draft format? <laughs> how do we make this into a pro tour? You know, I want to play heads up for twenties, uh, playing uh, emergent Genesis. How do I do that? So, um, before I get into talking more about our focus points today, um, I, I know that there's people out there, uh, who want to be the next BDM who want to do commentary, who want to maybe, uh, on their streams or whatever their videos they're doing. They want to up, the production value and they want to be more like you if you could offer any advice to somebody who wanted to be a broadcaster or even increase like us our podcast if we want our podcast to sound better what kind of advice would you give somebody who wants to kind of follow in your footsteps well i can offer no advice (laughs) podcasts sound good i don't know if you've ever listened to the top eight magic podcast but you know we do it in the middle of traffic on our iphones um (laughs) they are very very deliberately uh lo-fi uh, you know, it's just it's I, we're, we're something that's going to change at some point very soon. But we we've really sort of stubbornly just stuck to this. What's, there's nothing wrong <laughs> you know, with very, that. Very low-fi hey, sensibility. Tell them haters going to hate, hate, hate. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, I think in general, I, I get a lot of people who ask me about uh, commentary and about how they get into sort of the coverage game or into even just this idea of you know how do you make money off of magic. If you're not, you know, necessarily a a pro tour champion, right? Like, you know, you're not platinum, you're not gold, you know, what are the ways that, you know, you can support yourself and still be involved in this hobby. And I I think the biggest thing to me is just um, a producing positive content, you know, like, you know, I think, I think a lot of people have this tendency you guys still there? Yeah, we're here. Yep. Oh, okay, I heard like a little ding or sound. <laughs> no, we cut you off. We were out. Oh, you know, yeah, you just like, started oh, talking. And positive you, you content. <laughs> we're out of here. Positive. T- <laughs> but no, 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 no. Negatives only, please. Um, I think a lot of people just come out and, and 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 think that there's a way to sort of foment controversy or to just like tear someone else down to build yourself up. You know, I think that there's a natural, like, oh, this will be a great way for me to make a a, a, a you know a name for myself. And I, and I think that just the really, you know, the magic community is still a fairly small community in the, in the grand scheme of things. And, you know, there's still a lot of uh, proselytizing we can do about the game. And I think being positive and being excited 
uh, about the things that, that interest you is this really compelling ambassadorship for magic. And I think that if you're doing that and you're then sharing what you're doing with other people and showing it to them and asking for feedback and being able to take real uh, critical feedback that, you know, if, if, if what you're doing, you know, is, 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 is good and you're able to sort of take that, uh, you know, the, the comments that, that you're asking for to heart, I, I think that there's a lot of opportunities for people to, to do well, uh, you know, streaming, making videos, podcasts, you know, you, you know, you look at, you know, all the people that have, uh, built careers for themselves around magic, you know, the Evan Irwins and, oh, yeah. you know, the Marshall Sutcliffe's, you know, and, and, you know, Aaron Campbell mm-hmm. and, you know, like all, you know, all these people that are just, um, you know, out there, you know, really just talking about a game that they love. Yeah. And it's just talking. I mean, I, th- right. I think when people would ask me the same thing, they say, Hey, you know, I know that, you know, you were, I was writing for star city. I had written for channel fireball, you know, how do you get started in those kind of things? And I, I've always told people just as long as you're good people and you have a dedication to producing quality work, you can find work in this industry because there's a lot of people who I wouldn't say are fully committed into having the highest quality stuff. I mean, there are a few that are, I mean, high quality every week, but there is always an opportunity for the next guy or girl to come in who really is saying something. And yeah. it's part of one of the reasons we wanted to have you on today when we talk about, you know, the pro tour and things like that is uh, two of my really good friends, Jackie Lee and Melissa DeTora are people who got internships over at wizards of the coast, but they were also some of, the bigger names on the female side of magic. And it's kind of hard these days when you turn into the pro tour or you turn on a a GP. I don't see a lot of female faces um, in the last six, seven months besides Melissa uh, who are maybe being promoted the same way. What can or should be done to promote and develop female talent in magic? If we're going to try to battle some of these horrible things that kind of happen at the local level, uh, do you think that there's a way that we can promote more women in magic? Well, you know, it's, I, I mean, I, I definitely, you know, I wince a little bit at this idea that horrible things happen at the local level. I mean, and I'm not saying that they don't, but I mean, I certainly go to Grand Prix, you know, you know, frequently. And I, I have to tell you, I've been doing I ran the first ever North American Grand Prix uh, way back in Washington, D.C. And I've been going to them ever since. And I would say that the, the number of women coming to these events has just increased steadily and, and seems to be increasing exponentially over the last year to me. Right. I, I think that there's a huge um, jump in, in female attendance at these events. This is largely anecdotal. I have no I don't have the stats to back this right, up. Me, me neither. This is just this is just based on like, wow, there, you know, there's there's actually far more women here than I'm used to seeing at a magic tournament over the last 20 years. Uh, you know, but I, I do think, uh, you know, when you, when you talk about how, how do you market that? I mean, I th- I think, you know, someone like Melissa is a big part of why there are so many women. Oh yeah. Without, without question. You know, I, I mean, I know I, I've, I've talked to Melissa and, you know, she, she'll talk about, you know, getting letters from people, uh, who are like, oh my gosh, it was so inspiring to, to see you play. And it's made me want to compete on the pro tour. And, you know, I mean, I think that there are a number of women who are, 
you know, right up there maybe to become the next, you know, I think I, J.D. Clarence, who already has a, a Grand Prix top eight and is, you know, been at the top tables multiple times. Feline uh, Logmore, um, you know, I know someone, uh, Robin from Seattle, who's been going to these events and is like, she's kind of like right on the cusp of, you know, getting to, you know, the money level at the GPs and she's, she's, she's traveling around and she's uh, going to these events. So I, I mean, I think that there's this, uh, I think we're going to see this bubble. I think it's going to be like all of a sudden, uh, you know, it, it's really just repetitions, right? It's just like, there's, there's certainly, there's certainly no reason that women can't succeed at the game at the same level that men do. No, absolutely. It's, 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 it's strictly a question of volume. Right. And that's what right. I'm saying. It's the volume thing, because like yeah. you said, there's, uh, when Melissa is somebody that I tested with for the Pro Tour with Team Revolution, things like that, and I mean, there's so many young girls who are out there who are maybe playing Magic at their local level who could see a Jackie Lee, who could see a Melissa Dottora, who are doing well. They're on camera. They're getting the respect um, that most of us believe that they deserve, uh, and they're getting these these younger women to say, "Hey." I could be that next person. The same as if me being, you know, a black person when I was younger and I would see somebody like David Williams doing well and I would say to myself, I'm going to be the next David Williams. Uh, and that's what I'm saying is that it's a volume thing. And on yeah. my, in, my, in my humble opinion, I've always felt that we need to see more women in the limelight, period. I mean, we need to see women doing videos. We need to see women doing commentary. We need to see the same things that we see in sports. Uh, you're a Mets fan. You watch baseball, I'm sure, probably more than anybody else, and you're just as sad as I am. Well, not this year, but previous years as being a Phillies fan. You know, it's it's something that when you see women in these positions... Man, I feel pretty good about the Phillies. Well, I, <laughs> I bet you do feel good about the Phillies. You know what? I, I, Brian David Marshall... You know, I'm going to tell you right this. Screw you as a staff, record label, and as a crew because the Mets are going to be good and my Phillies are going to suck. But anyway, um, you know, I just have always felt that there could be a, a, a women's invitational to highlight some of the bigger names uh, in on the female scene. And I know that there's that whole Gamergate, those kind of those people out there who are saying, ooh, reverse sexism and things like that. But the, our game, as we move forward, is going to need diversity. It's going to need to see these different faces to bring in all of these as one group. Because if we can continue to do that at the local level, I believe a lot of some of these sexist attitudes and things like that disappear once they see more females in, uh, in I guess, power positions in the game. I mean, Brandon, what do you think? Well, I think just having more women around in general will help. You know, us as Magic players are considered to be awkward just to begin with. So it'll get people more comfortable to, uh, you know, to be around women in, in these situations and make them feel more part of the group, which they, you know, they should be. And I think just encouraging more women to play the game is really going to be helpful to, uh, to everyone. Well, I mean, I think we can all agree on that. But the question is, do you believe that Wizards has a uh, responsibility, Brandon, to prom do more to develop and promote female talent? Not saying that they need to be taking things away from the men or anything like that that are playing right now, but to make a dedicated push to show women in power positions. Do, do, you, do you think that Melissa or Jackie or Jadeen or uh, Feline or, or, you know, any of those players would want that 
opportunity to get on the pro tour to come from this like you know i mean there was there was a story a little while ago where people were just talking about like this female league of legends league right right mm-hmm. and i and i understand the marketing aspects of that but at the same time it's just kind of like there's some part of me part of my brain that finds that repellent well no yeah. i yeah i hear that and i i mean you I, know I, it's like, like you know my my niece and 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 her daughter for that matter you know are certainly you know able to play league of legends right of <laughs> you know as as well as anyone there's there's certainly no there's no uh you know there, you know uh, you know obviously we all we all agree that this is you know a ludicrous so it's like i wonder how you know these fiercely competitive women who are you know trying to to get themselves to the pro tour the same way the fiercely competitive men around them uh are trying to get to the pro tour would feel given some sort of, you know, unique opportunity to get to the pro tour. Yeah, I've, I've talked to quite a few women. I know, I know some from our area and some at some GPs that I've been to, and they said they, they don't want to be considered good female Magic players. They want to be right. considered good players. Right, but that, okay, so I get that. But here's the thing is that we're talking about a situation where if we don't go out of our way to promote our best talent – and this is a conversation we had last week with Adrian and Paulo about, you know, marketing our stars, you know, making sure that we can do those kind of things. There's plenty of games that have, uh, you know, a female side of the business. That doesn't mean that the females are worse. They can still compete, you know, with the guys. That's not the point. The point is to show that there are women actually playing the damn game. I mean, we talk about chess. There's a women's chess world chess champion. Not that that women's world chess champion is any less capable than the men's champion but to promote female attendance in chess because and the same thing for magic i'm not saying that you should go out and give hey here's a special invite because you're a woman but you're you're the best woman in the world or whatever it is i I, granted i could be behind that if when we're talking about marketing yeah i mean i I could i could certainly if if i I can see if you're making a case that you're you're attempting to find ways to invite people from more lanes than are currently in the sort of guys who go to game store lanes. Correct. Then, you know, sure. That would, that would be great. But I I think that this sort of actually ties back to me to the point you were making earlier about, or the question you were asking earlier about creating content. Right. I think that there's also, you know, there's certainly a lot of great, uh, you know, there's the lady planeswalker society in, in Seattle. Or the that, girlfriend that, bracket they just uh, that Aaron just came out with is another podcast they started with an right. all female podcast. Right would be would be also be really interesting to see like you know I you know I think people would love to see a, a VSL analog that was you know if, you know there's nothing that says hey you know what here you know we we want to promote these eight women who play Magic exactly and we're yeah. gonna we're gonna create a streamer league. I know I'm, I'm sure wizards would support that this, and to the same extent that they support something like VSL. Right. And that's what I'm saying. Those are the kind of things right. that the promotional events is we're, we're not, we want to promote an idea that, uh, the, that fights the stereotype, the stereotype right. that magic is just all guys who are socially awkward, who will push away women and push away people who are popular and things like that. Because as somebody who grew up playing magic, I started playing Magic when I was 13 years old. That was the deal. It was like, hey, Magic's only for geeks. It's only for guys. There's no girls who play Magic. You can't hey. get a girlfriend if you play Magic. And a lot of that has been fought and won. We we know that that's not the case today. But in 1993, 
Yeah. At, at the same time, if you look uh, on Marshall Sutcliffe's Twitter sh- Twitter stream today, he just posted a listener survey, and you know what? Ninety five percent of his listeners or listeners that responded to his mm-hmm. listener survey uh, identify as male. Of course, yeah. You know, so the you know there is there is a it is a uh, largely male audience, which which and which is funny because I think that has nothing to do with the game itself as much as with the distribution of the game, right? Which really started in you know comic and hobby stores, which had already done its own damage in terms of creating this. You know, I, I actually find game stores to be in my my. Again, my, my experience may vary. I don't want to diminish anyone who's had a bad experience at a game store. But, you know, my, my game store experiences have all been pretty inclusive and, and pretty pretty interesting and fairly diverse, uh, you know, in, in, in all ways. Um, whereas maybe at comic stores, I think that there's this, you know, a little bit more of a stereotype uh, that goes back even further than the birth of magic, right? You know, something right. that really goes back to this direct market and this kind of real hardcore hobbyist, uh, at, and, and really, you know, is, is, can be, uh, you know, as someone who worked on the, you know, as a, as a marketing executive in the, for, for a chain of comic stores in New York, you know, I, I know how difficult it is to sort of change that, mentality even in the comic industry that's something that that people really fight but then you know you look now you you see a lot more female voices in comics you see uh you know a lot more representation of female characters you know a a shift even in the the portrayal of women in, in comics obviously it's still a very uphill struggle and, and i i really do feel like that we're on the verge of a, a real breakthrough for a greater representation of, of women at the top tables at these kind of events. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you on that, and I, I think I found my million-dollar idea, Brandon. I think that MTG Focus needs to have a, a, a women's invitational where we try to get— This is awesome. You know, yes. And we do video content. Uh, we just try to get the best names in the game, promote that. It doesn't even have to be for you know some big prize or anything like that, but just to show the world, because I've— I would just see so much hate spewed at some of Melissa's columns, not because not the same like when a guy writes the exact same thing. It was always sure. gives you know this air of you're dumb and things like that. And Melissa's probably one of the best players I've ever played with at any level. And I, I think that that is something that we should definitely be looking at, just as even if just as a stream. And I think that that's a good plan. I'm going to go talk to Erin about it and see what she's got on her end. But uh, uh, tying that all up, I think we all agree that we're moving in the right direction. There's some bad spots here and there um, and that we do want to make sure that people understand that we have great female players in the game and that we all can do our part to help promote uh, who they are by knowing at least who, what their names are, things like that, what they've done, just like we know the other pros. And I think that that's something that obviously, like you said, it's a volume thing. When we lose a Jackie, we lose a Melissa. We're just waiting for the next round. But, uh, Another thing that we've been talking about this last week also is the history of magic. It's magic has stuck around. You know, it's been like that cockroach that gets through the nuclear bombs and everything like that <laughs> when we think the game industry is going to die. Uh, I remember growing up when we started with magic, there was like Pokemon, there was uh, Star Trek, there was everybody was getting their hands in the game or in the in the card game arena. Sure. But, but most of them just died off. 
I mean, there was a TSR board game that I mean, a TSR card game that was just really I didn't Spellground, right? Oh, no, not Spellground. No, spell Spellcraft. I don't. God, what was it called? I don't even remember. But then there was also like uh, a religious one called Redemption. I, there was. Oh my god! Have every... you ever read the Redemption Tournament Report? <laughs> no. It was from the original like uh, Magic Usenet. It is unbelievable. A guy wrote the basically a magic tournament report, but about playing redemption. Oh, this sounds awesome. I'm going to have to get a link to this. It's ridiculous. He talks about, you know, and it was, it was done very much like a stereotypical angry male gamer. So he gets upset at a harlot who shows a little too much ankle when she comes <laughs> to the magic tournament to distract him. Oh, or come to the redemption tournament. This is beautiful. It's, oh. it's, it's one of the best things ever written on, on, you know, for magic comedy. I'm going to have to look that up and post the link on our Facebook. But so the thing, the question I want to ask is magic has, you know, endured a lot over the years. Like I said, basically my entire uh, adolescence and adulthood. And you said that the uniform card back was the most important thing that ensured magic longevity. I disagree with you, but I want to tell <laughs> us, you know, I want you to tell us why you think that. Well, so uh, it's, it's funny. I was doing an interview with, uh, someone read, doing a story about magic for NPR. And he uh, he was approaching it from the idea that the most important development to sort of, you know, his story is very much what you're talking about, this idea of like magic maintaining itself as something not just a trend or a fad, but as this sort of long-term evergreen um, lifestyle, right? You know, something that, that people have just like made part of their lives for the last, you know, 20-odd years. And I think his, his expectation was that, that, you know, based on my role as the historian and, you know, he was, yeah, was going to say, well, obviously it's the pro tour. Uh, but I, I don't even think we get to that point if Arabian Nights comes out and it's got a pink back and it says magic Arabian Nights, you know, magic the gathering Arabian Nights. I just I don't think the game ever gets that. Uh, makes that clicks. That, that kind of like crazy idea, you're like, oh, I can just jam all these cards together. I can, oh, I can play with these Mishra's Factories from Antiquities. I can play with this Nevernal's disc from Revised. Then I activate my disc, everything dies. Then I turn on my Mishra's Factories and attack. Oh my gosh, this is awesome. I love this game, <laughs> right? Like, like those great spark plug moments from early magic, like, you know, that wrath of God was good and, you know, like, and that these cards had some interaction and that you could play mana drain, you know, in your, you know, control deck. And like, if, if it's not just obvious that these cards could all be jammed together, remember this, this we, you know, back in 1994, 1995, 96, even 97, there wasn't this idea of opaque sleeves, right? Magic didn't come born into this, uh, you know, market with 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 you know dragon age sleeves and ultra pro sleeves those came somewhere in the mid in the mid to late 90s yeah i didn't even know a sleeve was a thing uh, besides clothing like people would buy penny sleeves right like the penny sleeves were a thing that sometimes people would use but you weren't even allowed to play with sleeves for a long time in magic uh, in competitive magic right right you know and even if you're like well you can play in sleeves but if your opponent wants you to de-sleeve uh they can force you to de-sleeve Right. Like the old school scum. That that (laughs) uniform, that uniform card back is just so important to making magic this thing that people understand is 
greater than any one release. You know, like you get to have the confidence, you're like, oh gosh, and then new cards are going to come out and I can add them to my deck. Like you don't even have to, you know, have someone tell that to you. Like you, 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 you at some point start putting cards together, you lay them out and you're looking at me like, oh wow, these all work together. And it's, I, to me, it's just such a lightning bulb moment. And there was never anything like this. Again, you talked about that kind of like flood of games that came out in the mid nineties. Uh, you know, the Star Trek games and, 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 you know, Redemption and all these millions of games that, that came out. Um, but before Magic, that just, this didn't exist. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there was nothing like this. Yeah, and I, so, I, so I think, I really feel like, um, you know, creating this game that's constantly growing and constantly changing and constantly adding cards to its you know, oldest format um, was was just so revolutionary. And I think without that, um, I think without that that decision, I think the game could very well have been stomped out in, at some point along the way during one of the rough patches. You know, Fallen Empires comes sure. out and it's just kind of poop. And <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh man, this garbage set. I'm never playing this game again. Oh wait, we right. do that now. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brandon, what do you so, think? I mean, I kind of looked at this from a different angle, and my thought on this is really the the dedication that's been in Wizards of the Coast to try to find the most brilliant people they can for the game to help keep innovating design in the game and moving it forward. Um, so I kind of just looked at it from a different angle from that, and I, I appreciate all the things where they try to do, where they try to push the limits to uh, what they can do with, with cards and in formats. And then, you know, I, I love that they try to just do things and, if we, you know, if mistakes are made, like, you know, Jace the Mind Sculptor is made, and then we decide later on that, you know, hey, we can't have this in the format because it's oppressive. Why are you hating on the, Jace? The mistake, the mistake you speak of is banning it? No. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, <laughs> yeah. was in, that, that's what well, I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I, I, you don't know, be hating on my Jace. That's my home dog. <laughs> I know. I, I actually, I played Cowboy one time, and it was to try to win one of those last chance qualifiers into one of the regionals. Uh, right before they they or in, right before they cut nationals off, and I played Callblade, and all I did was to apologize to everybody every round. I'm like, I'm sorry, I, this is just how it goes. I I got to do this because I want to go to nationals. And, sorry, I'm here's, sorry. Here's this Jace. Here's, Bounce your thing. Attack you with this. Sorry. Yeah, I can yeah. see like Eeyore over there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> um, let me kind of well, on both of you guys' points. I, again, I I think that those are very very um, important things that happen in Magic. But I'm going to give you two things that I believe actually kept magic together the most important thing that kept magic more important than and kept it around over the years is the complexity and also the easy uh, easiness i guess the one i'm looking for the ability to learn the game magic gave us the ability to sit down learn the basic rules quickly and then fall in love with the complexity a lot of other games don't do that for you a lot of other games you have to sit in it You've got to learn every little rule. Have you ever played L5R? (laughs) Which is a good game. It's a good game. It's just complex. It's not something that your eight-year-old is going to pick up and just get the basic ideas. Uh, If you ever played Vampire the Eternal Struggle or Jihad, (laughs) a great, I thought that was a, it was like EDH on crack where people died in the game. Yeah. You know, and that great game was awesome, but Magic at the time, or people who played the game weren't ready for two-and-a-half-hour games of a card game. They were used to shorter times. So the biggest complaint about Jihad was, ooh, it took forever, but it was a great game anyway. But the thing is is that Magic was simple enough to play at home at the kitchen table, 
but complex enough to be able to play in a tournament much like chess is. And that's what brought chess geeks like me uh, over from, you know, after seventh period or <laughs> during lunch to, to play with my demonic hordes and my counter spells and things like that because it felt the same, intri- like just the same complexity of playing chess because as I got better, I just found out that there was even more about the game. And to Brandon's point, when he said that R and D spent a lot of time pushing the envelope, the second thing that I think made Magic live through a lot of this stuff is a, a lot of people don't understand because they've been playing. They're, they're maybe they're only like eighteen years old or nineteen years old, so they don't know what it was like back in the day when there was no rarity symbols. But in the world of no rarity symbols, people got really sour on Magic when they found out that their cards that they traded for were worth actual nothing. And that was, I don't know who thought of it, who thought it was the, the good idea to make the different color symbols show you exactly what a card, you know, at least the rarity was. But those two things, between the complexity, you know, of the game and then also being able to immediately know that your cards are worth something really is what I believe was more important than, like uh, like you said, the being able to push the envelope, things like that. Obviously, what you, I think what Brian is talking about is more of a possible mistake, mm-hmm. not necessarily a, a feature of magic. Because what they were well, going but to it do was, was a mistake, wasn't, it wasn't right? just a possible mistake. It's what they were going to do. Right, but that was a mistake. There were, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we understand that. That let's say we don't really have anything to compare to it because it never actually happened. So we don't actually right. know what sure. magic could. I mean, it could have been that if they create these other colored backs, that the sleeve game comes up a little bit sooner. <laughs> right. but the, the first Ultra Pro <laughs> happens a lot sooner. Can you imagine what the first Ultra Pro would look like back then? I just don't even... Ugh. But uh, I just know that it, it's very important when you talk about the history of Magic. Every I don't think anybody here is wrong. I, I want to sure. put that no, in. Sure. No, I, you know, I mean, there, there, there are a number of, of things that Magic has done well that have helped them survive some of the missteps along the way. Yeah, and I but think, I, it's interesting that you say complexity because I, I, I think that we take as magic players we take for granted how hard it is to learn how to play magic maybe we do yeah Yeah. i I think we absolutely do it's so it is such a complicated game it is such an opaque game for someone to sit down and like if you handed someone a deck of cards and said play magic you're never gonna figure it out yeah it is it is it is impenetrable and i I actually think that if, if you're gonna point to something recent as a, a, a just monumental uh, step for magic, I would say that it is Duels of the Planeswalkers. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because Duels of the Planeswalkers gave people the opportunity to say, you know what, I really, all my friends are talking about magic. I'm going to download Duels, and you can, I, you know, it may not be a perfect replication of what a game of magic is, but you can learn how to play magic from Duels by yourself. So you never have to be condescended to by someone who lets you win. You never have to be ha 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 by someone who smashes you <laughs> 10 games in a row as they teach you how to play but can't let you win. Right, that's, yeah. that's, right? Our, that's our You don't have either of that's those kind of experiences or is just bored while you try to figure it out. You actually have this kind of, you know, here, here are the rules of magic. I'm going to show you how to play on this, on this thing. I've had people... Uh, you know, uh, with 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 the game company that uh, that I'm involved with, you know, we've had people come in and they're like, "Oh, what are you guys doing?" It's like, "Oh, we're playing Magic." Oh, I'd like to learn how to play. It's like, "Okay, well, we're going to play tomorrow. Go down, get, go download Duels. You're a smart guy. You're a computer programmer. You'll figure it out." And sure enough, next day, him and his daughter are there playing Magic with us, 
they figured it out, you know, by playing duels. I'm going to make sure that, that that next time somebody tells me they want to learn how to play magic, I'm just going to point them at the computer screen. Yeah. Because I think, honestly, that it, it is hard to win. If you're not set up to teach somebody correctly, you can really send them down the wrong road. <laughs> you can really <laughs> you know? something. Yeah, because yeah. I have definitely had people come to an FNM where I've been judging, and they are kind of blown away because they've kind of developed their own rules as to what they thought was supposed to happen. Yep. Yep. And But I, I appreciate the fact that they tried, and I do my best to teach them you know, correctly so they continue to come back. But I think, again, everybody had really, really good you know, uh, ideas as to what has kept us along. And what I want to ask the people at home and anybody who comments on the podcast is, what do you think? What do you think was the big thing that's kept Magic around? Uh, I want to hear everybody's points, things like that, what you think about our points. And for the most part, I mean... Focus point, this is what we want to do. We want to just have a good discussion and occasionally call somebody a scumbag or whatever it is. <laughs> but, uh, Brian, I really appreciate you coming on board uh, and actually being able to talk to us tonight. I know it's late where you're at, but I do appreciate uh, the fact I mean, that you're I, I would ju- I would just be drafted if I wasn't okay. <laughs> so. See, at least you're a degenerate <laughs> like degenerate, the rest yes, of us. I mean, you know. I thought that because Paula was on the show last week, I could have swore he was drafting while he was talking to us. <laughs> so, but the thing is. No, is I, that, know, I know better because I, you know, I, I don't want to do to you that thing that I do to my wife when she calls and I'm drafting and she'll say something and then she'll be like, did you hear me? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I heard you. I'm so the- what did I just say? I'm like, <laughs> you know, that thing. Oh, I'm drafting. I got busted. Yeah. My wife just turned around and looked at me with that death stare. Like I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm going to stab him in his sleep. <laughs> I got that last night. I was, I, I, my wife, I thought she went to bed. So I, I opened up and I started drafting. She comes out and she just looks at the, looks at me, goes, Oh, and turns around and just walks back away. She goes, I'm not going to have your attention if you're Did doing you that. Did you give her the right, Nick right. Jonas? Don't be jealous, baby. Don't be jealous. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you can't let her know it's a competition. Oh, I'm sorry. Never mind. <laughs> so, well, uh, again, thank you for coming on. Um, Brian, how do people get a hold of you on Facebook or on Twitter? Uh, you know, I'm on Facebook. I'm pretty much an open book on Facebook. Uh, I don't know that I have any room to accept friend requests. Oh, but humble brags. <laughs> I, no, uh, I mean, I just, I, I hate if I leave someone hanging on it because I'm pretty, obviously pretty, you know, shameless about accepting them. Yeah, of course. Uh, but, uh, but you know, I have a Top 8 Magic uh, Facebook page you could like and follow there. Uh, you know, I mean, if you just look at my Facebook page and everything's okay. public, I don't hide anything. Uh, and uh, Top 8 Magic, I mean, Top 8 Games, I should say, is the best way to do it. Interact with me on Twitter. Uh, I love talking to people on Twitter. I post stuff about magic, you know, multiple times a day. Post stuff about TV shows and the Mets. We're we're going into we're going into the season where there will be a lot of Mets commentary. Oh. <laughs> uh, so you know you can look forward to that, Roberto. I'm I'm not uh, looking forward to none of that crap. <laughs> hope. I'm I'm, I'm, just, I'm a Cubs fan, so I got some hope this year too. So. Yeah, I'm glad that uh, Jimmy Cubs, Rollins. Cubs, actually, I actually think the Cubs are going to be terrific this year. Yeah, it was it was awesome watching today where. Uh, Solar, whoa, 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 whoa. go back to back to nobody, back. Nobody knows about this. is a Magic the Gathering hey. podcast. You Mets okay. fans, you Cubs fans, <laughs> calm your ass down. So, but anyway, we're, we're talking about these things that Ryan Howard used to hit. Shut up. Oh, oh, God. <laughs> All right. That's it for MTG Focus today. I want to thank our special guest, Brian David Marshall. I want to thank my co host, Brandon Remley, our lovely, beautiful producer, Erica Gonzalez, and I am Roberto Gonzalez. We hope to see you next week. But again, BDM, thank you so much, sir. Thanks, guys. All right. We'll see you soon. All right. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash MTG Focus. 
and follow us on Twitter at MTG Focus. See you next week.